Volume 1, Chapter 3 of Say and Seal by Susan and Anna Warner. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 3 Monday morning came, with its hands full of work. They were willing hands that were outstretched to receive the load, strong hands too, and skillful, but it may be better suited to other work. Certainly, as the days passed, Endicott's gravity took a deeper tinge, and his words became fewer. Still maintaining his morning walk, and a light tasting of the air at night, ever punctual at meals, and when there displaying an unruffled equanimity and cheerfulness, the even tones of his voice showed sometimes a little weariness, and his step grew more thoughtful. And so the week rolled on, and the afternoon sun of Friday began to near the horizon. It was a warm afternoon, soft and balmy, a little haze on the sky, the least veil upon the mong's further shore, the summer roses hanging their heads, heavy with sleep and sweetness. The honeysuckles on the porch grew sweeter and sweeter as the sun went down, and the hummingbirds dipped into those long flagons, or poised themselves in mid-air for a survey. In the porch sat the three ladies. Each had been busy, and now each laid down her work, obedient to unseen influences. The warm breeze was softly rubbing Faith's cheek with its rouging fingers, and her mother gazed, nor could give one look to hummingbirds or roses. Her thoughts, however, took greater range, or the low chiming of the village clock sent them off, for she presently said, "'Faith, my dear, what have we got for tea?' that meal being under Faith's special superintendence. "'Very good blackberries, mother, and beautiful raspberries, and I cut my cream cheese, and Cindy is ready to bake the bannocks. Butter's as sweet as it can be this churning. Will that do? Mr. Linden likes raspberries and cream,' she added a little lower. Mrs. Derrick gave a comprehensive, "'Yes, child,' to both parts of Faith's reply, and then stopped and looked away up the street. For down the street at that moment came Mr. Linden, walking leisurely, his head bent toward one of his older scholars, who had both hands clasped round his arm. The boy's upraised eager face showed even at a distance how earnestly he was talking. "'There he comes,' said Miss Danforth. "'Who is that with him?' said Faith. "'Reuben Taylor, child,' her mother answered. Then as they came near the gate and stopped and shook hands, Reuben cried out, in answer to words which they did not hear, "'Let me go, do, please, Mr. Linden,' and went, while his teacher opened the gate, picked one of the drooping roses, came up the steps, and taking off his hat, bowed to the assembled ladies. "'Well, Mr. Linden,' said Miss Danforth, "'how do you find the Patacoasset diamonds?' "'I find, madam, that they shine, as is the custom of diamonds.' "'Are you going to let Reuben Taylor go?' "'Whither?' said Mr. Linden. "'Why, where he asked you. Is he one of Mr. Summers' precious stones?' "'He has gone,' was the smiling reply. "'Precious? Yes. Everybody is precious in one sense.' "'You haven't been to college for nothing,' said Miss Danforth, who would talk about anything. I should like you to find out in what sense I am precious. I've a good many friends, but there isn't one of them that wouldn't eat and drink just as well with me out of the world as in it." He smiled a little, though rather soberly, and stood watching the changing colors of clouds and sky for a minute or two without speaking. Then, half to himself as it were, low but very distinctly, he repeated, "'And they shall be mine, saith the Lord, in the day when I make up my jewels.'" The answer to this was only in pantomime, but striking. Miss Danforth did not speak and instead thereof turned her head over her shoulder, and looked away steadily over the meadows which stretched north of the house into the distance. Faith's eyes fell to the floor, and the lids drooped over them, and as plain a veil of shadow fell upon her face. Mrs. Derrick's eyes went from one to the other, with a look which was not unwanted with her, and a little sigh which said she thought everybody was good but herself. "'Ain't you never coming in to supper?' said Cindy, framing herself in the doorway. "'I want to get out after supper, Miss Faith,' she said, dropping her voice. "'I do real bad.' Is all ready, Cindy?" "'Yes, ma'am,' said Cindy. "'I'm free to confess there's a pile of cakes baked.' 
"'Miss Faith, when do you mean to show me the shore?' said Mr. Linden, turning round. "'You have been so busy all the week,' said Faith. "'And then you didn't speak of it, Mr. Linden. I can go any time.' "'My dear,' said Mrs. Derrick, "'there comes Squire Deacon. Maybe he'll stay to supper. I'll go and put on another cup.' Mr. Linden gave one glance at the opening gate, and followed Mrs. Derrick into the house. "'Miss Faith,' said the squire, "'do you think the night dews conducive to—to to your comfort?' "'When they are falling,' said Faith abstractedly. "'Why not, Mr. Deacon?' "'To be sure,' said the squire gallantly. "'Honeysuckles and such things do. But what I mean is this. Silly's going to get up a great shore party to-morrow, and she says she couldn't touch a mouthful down there if you didn't go, and like enough some other folks couldn't either.' "'Mother's gone into tea. Will you come in and ask her, Squire?' "'Couldn't stay, Miss Faith. Silly's looking out for me now. But you can tell. Your mother'll go if you do, or you can go if she don't, you and Miss Danforth. It's good for you now, Miss Faith. The saline breezes are so very—different,' said the Squire. "'When are you going, Mr. Deacon?' "'Soon as we can tackle up after dinner, silly thought. But fix your own time, Miss Faith. I'll call for you any hour of the twenty-six. Faith hesitated, and pulled a leaf or two from the honeysuckle. Then she spoke boldly. "'But you forget we have a gentleman here, Squire. We can't go without Mr. Linden.' "'I don't want his help to drive my horse,' said the Squire, with a little change of tone. "'But whoever hinders his going, I don't. The shore's wide, Miss Faith, it don't matter how many gets on to it. There's no chance but he'll go if you ask him.' "'Who wouldn't?' said the Squire, relapsing into his former self. "'We'll come down, then, some time in the course of the afternoon,' said Faith, "'and see what you are doing.' "'Then I shan't drive you down, shan't I?' said Squire Deacon. Never mind, it's no matter. Come when you like, Miss Faith. We'll be glad to see you, anyhow. And the squire closed the little gate after him energetically. Cinderella is in despair, Miss Faith, said Mr. Linden, as Faith entered the dining-room. Miss Danforth, how could you keep Squire Deacon so long and then send him home to supper? It's all your fault, sir, said Miss Danforth cheerfully, and I guess the squire has got his supper. He must be a man of quick dispatch, said Mr. Linden, while Faith, after a glance to see if her bannocks were right, made her announcement. "'Mother, there's a shore party to-morrow. "'Who's going, child?' "'Squire Deacon and Cecilia, and I don't know who else, and he came to ask us. "'Will you go and take tea with us at the shore, Mr. Linden?' "'Does that mean that my tea is to be transported to the shore, "'and that I am to go there to find it, Miss Faith?' "'You have a very puzzling way of putting things,' said Faith, laughing, "'though her look bore out her words. "'I don't think it means that. "'Your tea won't be there before you are, Mr. Linden. "'Wouldn't you like to go?' "'The squire says there is room enough on the shore,' suggested Miss Danforth. "'I suppose he wants a good deal for himself, or he wouldn't have thought of it.' "'Perhaps he thinks I want a good deal,' said Mr. Linden. "'Well, in consideration of the width of the shore, I think I will go. "'Is not that your advice, Miss Faith? "'What are the pros and cons, if you were to state them fairly?' "'Well,' said Faith, "'you will have a pleasant ride, or walk, down, whichever you like. "'I think it is very pleasant. "'You can go in the water if you like, which everybody does.' There's a beautiful shore, and I suppose that would be pleasant. You'll see all that is pretty about the place while the people are digging clams and preparing supper, and then you'll have supper, and then we shall come home. And I think it is all pleasant, except that there will be too many people. I like it best with just a few. As if we were to go down there tonight in the moonlight. Now, Miss Faith, what is the other side? Just that, the too many people. There isn't a chance to enjoy anything quietly. I can enjoy the people, too, sometimes, but not the other things at the same time so well. Perhaps you can, Mr. Linden. I can sometimes enjoy the other things at the same time. Better. Faith again looked a little puzzled, but answered with a simple, Then I dare say you will like it. What I am puzzled about, said he, smiling, is how you are to show me the shore. Miss Danforth, why is that bread plate so attractive to me, while I am like the reverse end of the magnet to it? But, my dear, 
said Mrs. Derrick, for the bread plate was suggestive. Ain't you going along with the squire's party? I said we would come after, mother. The squire only said there was room on the shore, added Miss Danforth. Is the shore wide enough for us to drive down there, or must we walk? asked Mr. Linden. But you'll eat supper with them, of course, said Mrs. Derrick. Of course, mother. The wagon must go, Mr. Linden. There's room enough for anything. Mr. Linden made no comment upon that, and finished his tea in comparative silence, then went forth as was his custom to the post-office, and, as was not his custom, returned very soon. Mrs. Derrick and Miss Danforth had gone out to see a neighbor, and Faith sat alone in the twilight parlor. It was very twilight there, but he walked in and stood waiting for his eyes to discover what there might be. "'There is nobody here but me, Mr. Linden,' said a very soft and clear voice. "'Do you want anything?' "'I wanted to see you, and am foiled by the darkness. Are you tired, Miss Faith?' "'Never. I wasn't sitting in the dark for that.' "'Would you object to coming into the light?' "'Not at all,' said Faith, laughing. "'Which way?' "'There is to be a fine illumination to-night, which I should like to have you see.' "'An illumination? Where is it? Shall I want my bonnet?' "'You will be better illuminated without it, but you may perhaps take cold.' "'How do you make your scholars understand you?' said Faith. "'I am sure I must need illuminating. So much that I had better leave my bonnet, Mr. Linden?' "'I think you may, if you will take some light substitute. Why, my scholars are my scholars, Miss Faith.' "'What then?' said Faith, stopping short. "'Why, then, I am their teacher.' "'I half wish I was a scholar, too,' said Faith, with a tone which filled up the other half. "'I don't know much, Mr. Linden.' "'About illuminations?' I will promise you some light upon that point." With which encouragement, Faith fetched the scarf which was to do duty for a bonnet, if desired, and they set out. "'Now, Miss Faith,' said her companion, as he closed the gate, "'if you will show me the road, I will show you the shore, which will not at all interfere with your showing it to me to-morrow.' "'The shore,' said Faith, "'to-night? Are you in earnest?' "'Very much in earnest. You prefer some other road?' "'No, indeed. It's beautiful, and I like it very much. Cindy!' she said to that damsel, whom they opportunely passed at the entrance of the lane. "'You tell my mother I am gone to take a walk.' And so they passed on. The way was down a lane, breaking from the high road of the village, just by Mrs. Derrick's house. It was a quiet country lane, passing between fields of grass or grain, with few trees near at hand. Here and there a house, small and unnotable like the trees. Over all the country the moon, near full though not high, threw a gentle light, revealing to the fancy a less picturesque landscape than the sun would have shown, for there were no strong lines or points to be made more striking by her partial touches, and its greatest beauty lay in the details which she could not light up. The soft and rich colors of grain and grass, the waving tints of broken ground and hillside, were lost now, the flowers in the hedges had shrunk into obscurity, the thrifty and well-to-do order of every field and haystack could hardly be noted even by one who knew it was there. Only the white, soft glimmer on a wide, pleasant land, the faint lighting of one side of trees and fences, the broader salutation to a house-front, and the deeper shadow which sometimes told of a piece of woodland, or a slight hilly elevation. Then all that was past, and the road descended a little steep, to where it crossed by a wooden bridge, a small stream, or bed of a creek. Here the moon, now getting up in the sky, did greater execution. The little winding piece of water glittered in silver patches, and its sedgy borders were softly touched out, with the darker outlines of two or three fishing boats. And so on towards the shore. Now the salt smell met and mingled with the perfume of woods and flowers, and the road grew more and more sandy. But still the fields waved with Indian corn, were sweet with hay, or furrowed with potatoes. Then the outlines of sundry frame bathing-houses appeared in the distance, and near them the road came to an end. The shore was improved by the moonlight. Its great rocks, slippery with seaweed, glittered with a wet sheen. 
The sound wore its diamonds royally, and each tiny wave broke in a jeweled light upon the sand. Far in the distance the dim shore of Long Island lay like a black line upon the water, and sloops and schooners sailed softly on their course, or tacked across the rippling waves, a fleet of black spirits and white. "'What do you think of the illumination, Miss Faith?' said her companion, when they had sat still for five minutes. "'What do you think of it, I think I should say? Mr. Linden, I have showed you the shore.' "'You?' "'Who else?' "'Were you ever here before by moonlight?' "'I don't know. No, I think not. Were you ever here before at all?' "'Is it owing to you that I am here now?' "'You couldn't have got here without me,' said Faith, stooping to turn over some of the glittering pebbles at her feet. "'And I couldn't have got here without you. I am willing to allow that we are square, Mr. Linden. I must, for you will turn a corner faster than I can catch you.' "'If you really suppose that first proposition to be true,' said Mr. Linden, raising his eyebrows, "'why, of course there is no more to be said.' "'Miss Faith, how would you like to be sailing about in one of those phantom ships?' "'I should like it very well,' said Faith, in a good time. "'I went to Pequot in one once. It was very pleasant. Why do you call them phantoms?' "'Look at that one standing off across the moonlight towards the other shore, gliding along so silently with her black sails all set. Does she look real? You cannot even hear the creaking of a rope.' Faith looked, and drew an interrupted deep breath. She had lived in a world of realities. Perhaps this was the first phantom that had ever suggested itself or been suggested, to her imagination. Possibly something of the same thought crossed her mind, for she drew her breath again a little short as she spoke. "'Yes, it's beautiful. But I live in such a different world, Mr. Linden. I never thought of such a thing before.' He smiled, pleasantly and thoughtfully. "'How came you to see the sunrise colors the other day, Miss Faith?' "'Oh, I see them always. And that puts me in mind of something I have been wanting to say to you every day all the week, and I could never find a chance.' You asked me that morning, Mr. Linden, if I was true to my name, finding enough in a cloudy sky. What did you mean? What did you mean by being true to my name? I shall have to use your name a little freely to tell you, he said. It is Faith's privilege to be independent of circumstances. Faith always finds something wherein to rejoice. If the sky be clear, far into distant worlds she pries, and brings eternal glories near. If cloudy, Faith uses her glass as a prism, and in one little ray of light finds all the colors of the rainbow. "'I don't know what a prism is,' said Faith, somewhat sadly. "'A prism, in strictness, is a piece of glass cut in a particular way, so that the colorless sunbeams which pass through it are divided into their many-colored members. But other things act as prisms—the raindrops in a shower, the lusters upon your church chandelier. You have seen the colors there?' "'Well, how do they do that?' "'I must take some other time to tell you.' It would be too long a matter to-night, and I doubt whether you ought to sit here any longer. "'But this, Faith, don't do as you say,' she said, as she slowly and rather unwillingly rose from her seat. "'And I don't understand how any faith can.' "'This faith must study the Bible, then, and do what that says.' The tone was encouraging, though the voice was grave. He was not answered, and the homeward walk was begun. But Faith stopped and turned again to look, before she had gone three paces. "'I am in no hurry,' Mr. Linden said. Take your own time, only do not take cold. Faith turned away silently again, and began trudging along the sandy road, which led back to the lane. The moonlight showed the way better now. Passing on, as they neared home, one house after another showed its glimmer of light, and gave forth its cheerful sound of voices. From one, however, the sound was not cheerful. It was Squire Deacon's. "'Well, you'll see tomorrow, silly, if the sky don't fall. You'll see. Folks thinks the water down to the shore is mighty deep.' way over their heads till they've made its acquaintance, and then they find out they can wade round in it most anywheres. 
"'What's the matter with the squire?' said Faith, with a slight laugh, as these strange statements reached her ears. "'I should think, to use his own phraseology, he must be over his head somewhere,' replied Mr. Linden. Whereat Faith's laugh deepened, but the low, sweet tone of it only sounded an instant. "'My dear,' said Mrs. Derrick, running out as they entered the gate, "'ain't you very imprudent? Wasn't she very imprudent, Mr. Linden?' "'Very prudent, ma'am, for she wore a shawl.' "'And didn't want that, mother,' said Faith. End of Volume 1, Chapter 3